2: Year, iron. Hello and
1: welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Marcus with Sean Hackett. Sean Hackett is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Ford. He's nice enough to come on and talk about what's happening in the marketplace. Fresh off of a week's vacation, sailing around the world on his raft, and he's out there making things happen. Noodling sharks. He's, this guy's hardcore. Sean, how you doing, buddy?
3: I'm doing pretty good, Casey. I'm charged. I'm... Uh, I'm here for a day, and I go back out to Iowa to do market-to-market market on Thursday, and so uh, grass ain't growing underneath me—at uh, least not right now. So, well,
1: that's good, man. Keeps things going. Keep the keep talking about what you've been talking about. So, there's a couple things I want to hit on. Um, looking at the grain market over the last week and a half or so, I think we had a high of about 5 50 uh, fifty-ish, something like that, on corn, and we saw, you know. Uh, what was it almost 14 beans there for a minute so i guess sean taking a look where we're at now we've given all that back corn's back down under five i think yesterday it was right around five december corn was like 498 or three or something like that i had to go back and take a look but it was, it was under at a four in front of it so i guess we're kind of back to where we started at um beans and and corn both looking at that i guess sean taking a look at that market right now you you talked about seeing a big peak up here that last week of july going into august and that happened and now we're starting to see the ramifications of that uh of that v bottom there so i guess talk a little bit about that sean
3: well cool wet weather heading into mid-august is ideal for finishing up uh, the corn crop and obviously really really ideal for really developing a big yield potential for soybeans um and that's what we're looking at we're looking at Cooler weather than normal, some good moisture. Um, even if some heat comes in later in the month, like it looks like it could, it's it's kind of too late to really deliver a blow. So the market is pricing in the crop is going to be decent, um, and that means weather's off the table. And we're then now now the name of the game is when does the harvest low occur? Late August, late September, mid October. You know, we play the game of when is the harvest low going to take place um based upon harvest pressure and all the things we typically know this time of the year. The complicating factor is normally that's pretty straightforward, but we have this escalating geopolitical instability that I think um is likely to cause an earlier harvest low than a later harvest low. Meaning I expect that whatever the market needs to do the downside, twelve and a half dollar is strong support for soybeans, you know, uh if you look at the longer term charts, 4 dollars 5 is really strong support on corn, uh, whether we need to go down to that level or not. But whatever it is we need to do, I think we're going to do it by the end of the month, early September. That's going to be your harvest pressure low. And then I think geopolitics takes over from there and creates some substantial upside for the wheat market. And of course, by definition, um, that will drag corn and soybeans up at a time that it wants to rally post-harvest. So I think if we're looking at the typical pattern, we're looking for an early harvest low and an early beginning of a post-harvest rally really being catalyzed by uh, escalating geopolitical risks in the wheat market. So,
1: Yeah, the the Russia-Ukraine thing is really starting to kind of amp back up when you start looking at how that's going to affect the overall marketplace. You have Russia bombing all the – key um, infrastructure, whether it's river, port, whatever it is, they're, they're taking care of that. And now you have Ukrainians um, retaliating with uh, bombing Russian sites there on the Black Sea as well. So that that is going to be a continued um, I guess powder keg is probably the right word to use. Well,
3: they're, they're the, the two real key factors is that di- the Danube River yeah. infrastructure, which is so key to getting grain out of Ukraine, um, the more bombings we see there, the more deterioration of infrastructure there, the more uh, the the uh, the checkmate is going to be played into Ukraine, but if 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 what's going on here is Russia saying, "Look, we we tried to play nice with food. We're not getting you to come to the table to negotiate. We're going to play hard with food." Well, the only way that you're going to put pressure on the other side is you need to get prices for food that people consume high, that it creates huge geopolitical backlash. Um, Having said that, the other side is not going to I think back down willingly. I think they're going to attempt to restrict what Russia can get out of their country. So everything's been all oh, the whole focus of the market has been Ukraine's flow. I think the other side, the West is going to at least for a little while try to restrict Russia's flow of energy and Russia's flow of their wheat. Out of the market, because remember, they're funding the war by selling a bunch of crude oil, a bunch of natural gas and a bunch of wheat to those that are willing to buy from them so they can fund the war. So I could see that if we're just trying to play this geopolitical chess match before we get to the negotiating table, what I could see is the West or those on the other side attempting to disrupt Russia's supply. And if that happens, Casey, yeah. remember that wheat price that the Russians have been lowballing all year long has been the cap on the wheat market and really the cap on the grain markets. So long as they've been willing to sell a bunch of cheap wheat, very, very hard to get sustained higher grain prices. But if that starts to go away, then the game really, really changes. And I think that's likely to happen as we get to the latter part of August onward. I think we're going to see that happen. And then and then once that happens, Casey, then the inflation side, the food inflation side, the energy inflation side, like we had seen a year ago, year and a half ago, we'll get to the point that all the politicians on all sides see the wisdom. And what do we need to do to calm this down and kind of put this genie back in the bottle? Um, that probably takes place as we approach wintertime. I don't think anybody in any country wants to go through winter with a food shortage on their hands.
1: That would make it tough. Very tough. Yes. So you take a look at uh another thing. So like you brought up wheat and I was one of the things I want to talk to you about as you look at the wheat market, Sean, um that's the really the bright spot out there when you're looking at the overall um uh, you know where, where the where the real plays at right now and it's like it's everything you've talked about. You know it's it's the food shortages, it's the you know, rationing of wheat that we see coming out of, uh, ri- wheat and rice coming out of India, and all those things are starting to come together. Um, I guess talk about wheat a little bit, and are we, are we at the top of the market? I mean, I've heard people toss around 10 and $12 bushel type numbers when it comes to wheat, I guess. So what's your opinion on that, and, and do you feel like we'll get close to the top, and, and what's your expectations moving forward into uh, this fall?
3: We'd like to look at wheat collectively. Because we have spring wheat, we have hard red winter wheat, we have soft red winter wheat. We'd like to look at the wheat as, a, as, a, as an entire group. In our report this week, Casey, as, you, as I'm sure you saw, we put out an all wheat price chart that looks at the average price for all the wheat combined. You know, as an average, and right now it's it's hovering around um, seven and a half, half to eight dollars. Okay, um, we think that the average wheat price needs to get to ten in order to put the correct pressure on politicians to de-escalate this situation, meaning that $10 wheat – and, of course, we know that India has already banned rice, and so rice prices are are taking off, going up parabolically. We don't have cheap rice to fill in the gap this time. And when you have stocks to usage in exporter hands for wheat of all kinds at 25-year lows, the only thing keeping the wheat market down is that low – Offer from Russia, so when we look at all of that, you know, we think that the average wheat price, you know, and if anyway, if you look at a long-term chart of whether you look at soft red winter or hard red, ten dollars ten is, has been a very significant overhead resistance level for decades. So it's not like I'm you know making something up. I just think ten dollars is a is a magnet for it, that the politicians around the world would not want to see us go substantially above 10. um, I think that's a point where they start getting really nervous about civil unrest, about those in countries that don't have enough. We already saw what happened in places like, um, um, uh, Bangladesh you know where they ran out of food and they over- and they did a coup and the government got taken down we're seeing in various parts of Africa the same thing happening well it's going to escalate to bigger countries and more and more modern countries that if the food isn't there so I just think that that from a technical standpoint and I think from a price standpoint given that rice is no longer available at at, 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 at cheap levels seems to me a logical place where I think the market, could go to let's say between here and the fourth quarter before every politician sees the wisdom and saying, you know what, we probably don't want to have an energy crisis and a food crisis going through what's probably going to be a more on, 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 on last year, we were very, very fortunate that Europe had a very warm winter, as you know, right. In our winter was really, you know, sort of normal, but I don't think we're likely to have a repeat. And if we have a a long, you know, a, a more, um, uh, unfavorably cold winter with lack of energy and lack of food, if that's where we're heading, the politicians are going to be tremendous pressure to solve this and solve it in a hurry. And so as much as that means in the short run, significant humanitarian problems and stress, it probably allows for some kind of a, of a deescalation here at the end of the year, at least for a little while which ultimately would be good for everyone. But unfortunately, nothing in this world that I have ever seen gets solved without having a crisis that precedes it. We wish we politicians and the leaders would be able to see things in advance and take care of things in advance, but it always seems like you need a crisis to force the right thing to be done. And it looks to me like nothing is going to change until that crisis forces the politicians to de-escalate this unfortunate uh, Uh, humanitarian situation that's been developing and it's getting worse so
1: okay so you brought up my next point talking about the weather looking at where we're at now going into this critical month of august and then looking at where we're at out here in scotts bluff our first frost is flip a coin or or it could be there tomorrow but i mean it's um typically we're looking at that middle to first part of october our middle, I'm sorry, middle of September to that first part of October that we see a first frost kind of roll through here. So I guess Sean, as you're looking at August and and so much of the market's hinging on this August weather pattern, what are your thoughts there, and how do you see that playing out?
3: Well, the August weather pattern looks very, very solid for some really absolutely perfect weather for the core grain belt. I mean, cooler than normal and wet. I mean, you couldn't dial anything better than that, at least going in the middle of August and and even though some heat, I think, might start coming in late in the month, I, I really think it's going to be too late to do anything about it in terms of a frost. In an El Nino year, the key to an early frost is to get one of these typhoons. So, what happens, Casey, is you develop one of these typhoons out in Asia, and it goes, say, you know, it kind of works its way up into Japan, maybe on the coast of China, and then it swings back up into the upper air mass of the arctic and then oftentimes if it does that it really pushes and forces extreme cold air down into the u.s that's the pattern will we would be looking for to give us an idea that might you know that if if, if we're going to have some kind of a september frost you know early frost something that could hurt especially soybeans or something of that nature Um, that's how you get it now no one can predict when a hurricane or a typhoon is sure. going to form no one can predict how big it's going to be no one can predict exactly but we know if one develops and if it's we know what to look for i mean we know what the track needs to be we know it needs to be fairly large and we know what the track looks like it's fairly reliable that if we see that develop then we're going to put out a big warning to our customers to be ready for a early frost T- just as a, as an aside El Nino years tend to increase the risk of that happening. Meaning when the Atlantic hurricane season is on the more quiet side because El Nino creates wind shear Mm -hmm. that that kind of prevents activity in the Atlantic, it tends to increase the activity in the Pacific. So in El Nino developing years like this, the risks of one of those typhoons developing and creating that negative feedback loop for a cold snap in September is substantially higher than it is in a La Nina year when we have an active hurricane season and a very inactive Pacific season. Doesn't mean it's going to happen, but definitely that that is a, a pattern to watch Casey very closely um, because that absolutely would significantly potentially alter the supply demand equation, at least for <clears throat> soybeans for sure. Yep,
1: so absolutely. All right, Sean, one last topic. <clears throat> I'll let you get going here. We haven't heard much out of the soybean soybean meal market for a while. Uh, we had the crush the big uh, biodiesel crush thing. We had the report come out about three months ago or so that kind of kind of squashed that a little bit. We started looking at uh, renewable fuels and and, and how that <laughs> was started to start playing into the overall fuel supply uh, via the EPA since then Sean, how's that market reacted and what do you see there
3: we had us kind of a at least for the bean oil market we had to sell the rumor. Right. Buy the news, yep. you know, kind of a typical thing. And now soybean oils is falling back down. The meal market had the exact opposite. It was, you know, it was uh, uh, sell the, you know, it was buy the river, sell the news. It was, it, right. and it went opposite direction. So now that's where, where I see the bean meal market is we know last year, Argentina, half a soybean crop means, meaning their soybean meal exports are are very very low and they're the number one exporter of meal in the world so we know supplies for meal are tight we know the epa said that the mandates for the three years going forward on renewable diesel are going to be much lower than we thought which means the bean crush for renewable diesel is going to be less which means supplies for bean meal in the united states are going to be less than we thought bullish pillar number two the last part is when is african swine fever going to lead into a meat protein shortage in China. The signs we're looking for is the first thing is that we wanted to see the hog price in China bottom. We've made a V bottom surge higher here in the last two weeks, suggesting we, her liquidation is over and we've actually are beginning the uh, shortage of animals, meaning that the animals that are done and we're ready to start trading much higher hog prices, which means we're going to start rebuilding the herd. The second thing we wanted to see in China was the bean meal price bottoming and heading higher. It spiked, V-bottom surged higher, suggesting that China is getting ready or starting to look at their bean meal supplies. Because remember, the way this works is you got to produce a lot of piglets first. And those piglets consume a high percentage of meal and dry whey. Who's the number one dry waste? supplier for china in the world the united states of america if you look at the dry way price in the united states it made a v bottom and it's going straight back up in the v bottom so let's so we have dry way v bottom bean meal v bottom in china hog price in china v bottom the cycle has turned we now have started the clock that says the meat protein pork protein shortage is now going to show up let's say sometime in the latter part of the fourth quarter, China can't wait to run out of pork. So what they have to do is they have to buy ahead of the shortage, meaning you just don't buy a uh, pork from the United States today and saying it's going to be delivered tomorrow. I mean, it's a couple of months, right? Right. So yep. if we're thinking this through, let's say that December begins the the, the true shortage of pork. Then if I'm thinking through this, they need to start buying, pork from the u.s pork from brazil starting in september and october they're going to, have to be very very substantial buyers and they're going to have to start picking up the pace on uh their supplies of dry whey which means they got to buy a lot from us and they got to start buying a lot more soybeans to crush to make meal over there because that's how they get their meal over there they buy the beans and they crush it for meal so that whole uh uh Post-ASF meat protein shortage, I'm very confident that the clock has now started. And so that's a very positive development for meal prices once once the soy market has made its harvest low. Because right now what's happening is beans are, 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 be, are being crushed for obvious reasons because we're having a fantastic August. The crop is getting bigger. Everyone's adding bushels. And we're trying to find out where the harvest low is. Once that is done... The beanel market is is a market to watch.
1: So, right on. Okay. All right. So, you saying there's some hope for for the pork market here coming through this last quarter of the year?
3: We're very, very optimistic. <clears throat> very, very marked. a livestock of all kinds. By the way, mm. the history of the last two ASF episodes is that uh, sure, absolutely, it's bullish for pork because that's their number one consumed meat protein, and obviously, uh, their New Year's holidays comes in January, February when they consume the most amount of pork. But remember, when there's, a meat, when there's a meat protein shortage, that means they go buy more chicken, they go buy more beef, they go buy more fish, and they go buy more milk powder. They tend to buy p- proteins of all kinds because at, at some point, they're, they're going to say, look, we just need more protein, period. And so it's for the entire meat protein sector, including dairy. But it's especially good for uh, for the pork industry. So, so from, let's say <clears> – <throat> let's say from the mid fourth quarter onward into let's say mid summer of next year, you know, we think the outlook for livestock in general, but especially dairy and the hog industry looks very, very bright to us. You know, look, cattle's high, you know, it's on a different cycle. Um, it looks like it might be, you know, putting in a kind of a topping pattern here. You know, I'm not, not sure we're as excited about that market, but we're pretty excited about dairy. In fact, if you look at the class three, market for dairy it's had a spike low V bottom reversal yeah. again you know just like we've seen in so so something's going on here um, you know with with all of this and we've been waiting for these signals to show up all summer long they've now shown up the clock has started and we've a very very good. Uh, pathway to follow from the last two times this happened. When we went through it for the very first time, we weren't really sure, right? We had never been through it before, but now we've been through it twice. Um, It's a very, very high probability outcome that we just outlined here for that, for what's going to happen there with these different um, uh, tentacles of what this post-ASF meat protein shortage means in China.
1: Yeah, yeah. I've been watching the dairy market. It It was disastrously low there for a while, and now it's back up into this I think I almost gained three bucks here over the Well, last just think
3: that spot but. price July closed out at in the mid thirteens yeah. per hundred weight. Yep. and right now, you know, we have prices, you know, in the eighteens yep. on spot price. I mean, that is just,
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: Quite a change.
1: Huge turnaround. quite a
3: turnaround, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're we're talking about billions and billions of dollars of increased income for the dairy farmers in a very, very short period of time. Of course, they needed it. Of course, they needed
1: it. Absolutely needed it. All right. Yeah. All right, Sean, good stuff as usual. Folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what you're doing over at Hackett Financial. What's the best way to do that? Our website is
3: hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T advisors with an s.com we have a twitter page at Faradix 11 we also put stuff out on our linkedin page you know from time to time we'll put out some different interviews and some different tidbits about our cycle work statistical work and our forecast to see if what we do and how we do it and what we talk about in your show is a value to our listeners
1: and it will be very much so sean I appreciate you being on the podcast look forward to talking to you again this week
3: sounds good casey take care
1: Right on. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Go to LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast. Check out the video version over on the YouTube channel, which is the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. Check it out there. Go to Moving Iron LLC for everything Moving Iron related. If you want to sign up for the Moving Iron Iron Podcast, it'd be great sign up for it. I don't know what you get when you sign up for it, but if you you do, I'll figure something out. You can also go, but if you're interested, go to the Moving Iron uh, Summit. You have just a few days left to get signed up for that. There's about... A handful of spaces left, so we're just about closed out there. If you're interested in that, you can send me an email at Podcast at movingironpodcast.com, or you can just fill out there online, and I will get you signed up. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour, Sean Hackett. Let's move some iron folks out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com.
2: we find us here, moving higher.